It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of the Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are so thrilled to be joined by Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Hi, y'all. And Natalie joins us from Spain, but as you will hear, she is not Spanish. No. Um, well, how, uh, let's let Natalie, you go ahead and tell us a bit about how you joined the gang and why you're here. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you can hear from my accent, I'm an American um, living in Spain. My husband's in the military. That's why we're lucky enough to be living here, enjoying our time. Um, and yeah, for about a year and a half, a little longer, we've been when trying to have a baby. Um, and you know, we started uh in December 2021 right going in fresh faced I've never had a pregnancy or tried to be pregnant before so um started you know doing my type a thing where I'm like all right I've got the ovulation testing I've got the temperature monitoring oh wow did you start off with all of that stuff oh yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah I did as well I I think really yeah it's almost I found it almost exciting like yeah. as a as someone who's quite driven by process, yeah. I was like, right, we are going to do. I this thought properly. most people like just expected to fall pregnant. You know, come off the pill; it'll happen in a few months' time. I thought that's how what happened. I thought that's how most people no did starting trying. You know, and maybe I. So I I worked in healthcare in the U.S. my entire career. I started off working um, as a respiratory therapist in a neonatal ICU, so I was very familiar with like adverse birth outcomes right so yeah. I I knew some of the some of the science you know um and and that was that was really part of my career being at least tangential right to, to maternal health um and so I think the other part of that is a little bit of a de- defense mechanism trying to control <laughs> what's going on and you know if I can pee on a strip and it tells me what's happening then I feel more comfortable with sort of all of the unknowns, right? That makes sense. Yeah. 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 So started with that right away, you know, again, regimented, we were, we were doing the the sex week on our shared Google calendar. <laughs> like just, Again, this is like, my husband's like the most laid back person of all time. And I am not that. So, um, <laughs> and that's fine too, by the way. Yeah. That is fine. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we, we tried for about five months you know, in each of those cycles, you know, you get the negative pregnancy test, you go through that disappointment, um, but then you're ready to kind of, I was at least ready to kind of snap back and keep trucking, right? Keep trying. So and, were you, sorry, Natalie, were, were you, when you were trying and you were, you say you get the negative pregnancy test, were you just not, not, not waiting for your period? You were actually, no. t- well, oh, okay. I would either, I usually tested like the day I expected to get my period because I, am extremely regular. Like I, I always have been. So even before, you know, really trying to focus on have a baby, having a baby, I just kind of always knew when my period was supposed to start. I I really didn't have a lot of variance with that. So I would, of course, you know, I had pregnancy tests in the house and I was going to test the day that I expected my period, right. Whether, you know, that, that, and it does become like quite um, compulsory, right. Like I, you feel like you lost lost the plot a little bit and you but you have to do it right it's Uh, right it's like a really unique mix of being out of control and needing to be in complete control that's what I found I was completely out of control of my (laughs) testing like you know more definitely more than once a day 
And so I felt out of control of that process, but I had to be so in control of the dates and the timings and the, you know, the testing, what days and when to do it and when we were going to have sex, you know, that window. So I found it a really unique combination of going fucking mental and remaining completely in control. Yeah. Well, and you don't, you don't get a break one day of the month. You don't get a break, right? Because, you know, even, even in the, in the few days right after you test negative and you've started your period, right? Like you're reeling from whatever disappointment you may feel right in that moment. And then you immediately have to switch into, okay, it is day four and I ovulate on day 18, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's all the things like sperm lives for five days in the body. Like just, you've got all these metrics in your head and you, and I think again, it, it, you put so, I, I put so much pressure on myself that if I do these things, I will get the outcome I want, right? That that's at least what I went into it thinking. Um, obviously, quite naively until you you join the gang and um, you know have. That's like- what we're taught, aren't we? We're taught that if you try hard enough to do something, mm-hmm. and you know, we, this is what we what we teach kids in schools. If you you know try try hard enough, you can achieve anything. So like yeah. bollocks when it comes it to is. this. It is rubbish. Like- it's, it's, yeah, it's just trash. Right. Um, and I think, I think that's the, one of the first pieces of support or, um, like elements of y'all's podcast in the community that you've created that. Did you God. just say yo? Yeah. yeah. I love the fact that you've, yeah, I've heard that a couple of times. Yeah. I, I tried to be cool about it, but obviously Laura. <laughs> oh yeah. You'll, I'm sure Laura, those Laura's blown on cover. Yeah, I'm from like smack dab in the middle of the. I grew up in smack the dab, another yeah. great expression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it. Keep them coming. I, I come from farmers too, so there's a little bit Do of country. You. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. Um, so yeah, I, I have the interesting sort of uh, rural in the summer upbringing, urban the rest of the year. So, mm. um, but yeah, I you know again, it's that that merit based effort. You think that you're going to get the outcome that you want, and. And just the rhetoric, right, is is all okay. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you can be better. You need to eat these things and 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 do these workouts or not do these workouts, right? I think that's there's just so much. It's all so confusing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, joining the gang, I am actually just about a year ago. It's like almost the one year anniversary of me getting pregnant for the first time. I am. Um, my, so my sister had actually had her destination wedding here in Spain. She's married to an Australian. And so we had family from Ireland, Australia, and America all come and kind of can, can come and uh, stay with us here. And, you know, it was like a three-week extravaganza. So, of course, I'm thinking, like, there's no way this month that it worked, right? Because I've been distracted. I've been busy for the last three weeks, right? So I'm testing on my test day about a year ago when I was expecting to start my period. And it's about seven in the morning. And this is the week after all family has left us from a three-week extravaganza. My husband's still asleep. It's a Friday. He's he's finally has a day off, right? And, and gets to sleep in. Um, and I'm in the bathroom, I pee on one of those digital pregnancy tests and it comes back and says pregnant. Right. And I'm like, wait, how, how, no way. Right. Like there's no way. Um, so of course I take two more tests, um, yeah. because I need like, you know, points, <laughs> right? and, um, yeah, they all came back positive and I immediately come tearing out of the bathroom after, you know, whatever 10 minutes that took me to do. 
And I'm like waking up my husband on the bed. I, you know, I had no chill, no chill at all, as you can tell from this conversation, right? Like I'm not the most relaxed <laughs> individual in the world. Um, and woke him up and like showed the test. And I was like, I'm pregnant. I'm like getting the dog all hyped, right? Like very excited. And there's a very, there's a wonderful picture that I will cherish forever. And it's him like one eye open, like holding up a pregnancy test. Cause I'm like, smile. I want to take a photo and like document the moment. Right. And he's just like, what is happening to me right now? Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously had that, had that feeling of unbridled joy. Right. And just, again, the, 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 the ignorance is bliss almost, right? Like I just, there's no way that, you know, I'm a healthy person. I do all of these things. You know, I don't, I don't do all the bad things, right. The quote unquote bad things that, that, that would um, lead you to not have the birth outcome that you want. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Which again is a whole bunch of rubbish. A lot of it is. Um, And so actually the day after I, we, we found out that I was pregnant, um, my husband had to leave, but just for a week trip. Right. So I'm like, great. I'm here with my thoughts. He leaves real early on Saturday morning and I start following all the mommy blogs, following all the pregnancy Instagram pages, downloading like three of the different apps that track, you know, what, what size is your baby? Or, you know, these are the fun facts about development this week. And I was just a woman consumed. You were all in, weren't you? All in. Yeah. Do you know what's so upsetting is that and lots of people listening to this will have had that moment with their partner where they've tested that very first time and they're never going to bloody get that again. No. And that's what's just so horrendous. It is. Yeah. How unfair. I, yeah. I reflect on that a lot, actually, as being, you know, obviously you're devastated when you lose your pregnancy, but it's, it's not just that, right. It's, it's like, you have gotten this entire life experience just absolutely ripped away from you. And I Mm -hmm. I don't even mean the pregnancy part, right. It's just that, that unbridled joy and excitement and like the fairy tale, right. I mean, for better or for worse, right. You're, you're kind of, at least where I come from, um, expected to be a mother at some point, right. Like that's the normal course of life. Um, and so, you know, when it doesn't follow that, that plan exactly, it's, it's, it's really something that I still struggle with, right? Like if, when I have my days of grief, um, that, that part is, is something I like really struggle with the loss of mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. that, that ability to, um, have that experience, right? Yeah. Again, mm-hmm. It's not possible after we, we did a, we did a post about that. Well, we've done a post about that and we've, published it a few times about what you lose when you lose your baby and it's exactly right you know you don't just lose your baby you lose the joy that you are able to feel for other people yeah and and this sort of stuff it's the stuff that no one really admits to and no one actually thinks about at the time and it's only afterwards like retrospectively you just think fuck this has robbed me of not just my own stuff and thoughts and ideas and plans and dreams and aspirations for the baby that I'm now not going to have, but it's also taken away from the future, you know, the future of your future pregnancy announcements that we were talking about, sorry, future pregnancy, like finding out you're pregnant and the stuff that you feel for other people. You just can't do it anymore. Can you, that one, Oh, it just is so unfair. Yeah. And I, I definitely, so, you know, we, we knew we were pregnant. My husband leaves. I'm like full in the excitement. Right. And, um, about 
two or three days later, I woke up with cramps, right? And I'm like, all right, hit the Google machine. What is Google going to tell me about? Oh, God. Yeah, you know. Um, And so, you know, of course, it tells you, oh, some cramping and some bleeding can be normal. I'm like, okay, right? I think I held on to that hope for about the first five hours of that experience. But obviously, you all have had, you know, similar or, or the same experience where it, it, it ratchets up in intensity mm-hmm. and just with every like minute that creeps by, you know, the cramps are getting worse. And you, I felt like, you know, with both of my miscarriages, you, you hit the point where you're like, I can't, I just have to let go of the hope. Like where it's, I know what's happening. Right. Um, and you know, the, the first one I had last, last May, um, you know, it was very, very early. It was, you know, I think my doctors even, you know, the term chemical pregnancy, right. Cause I had found out and then very, you know, within a few days was, was losing the pregnancy and losing the baby. And, um, I, that one just absolutely wrecked my brain and, and I deprived myself of my support system. My husband's gone. And, you know, I immediately call him in the, the next morning after the first day of sort of those symptoms happening and I, I was sobbing on the phone and he's like, all right, I'm coming back. Like, and I go, no, like, I don't want people to know about this. Like we'd have to explain what was happening. And that was just my like guttural reaction is like, no, I like, you know, I, I shouldn't make a bigger deal out of this than it is. Right. Like, I don't know. That was, that was what was going on in my head, you know, because I didn't need medical attention. It was painful, but it, 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 it wasn't, I think, what sometimes displayed in the movies, right? Like physically painful. Um, visually, it was very, it was something very different for me, right? Um, and those visuals, I still struggle with a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I told him, I'm like, don't come home, finish your week out, come home at the end of the week, and we'll go from there. So yeah, I, I regret that decision as well, right? Just um, depriving myself of that that support system uh, because I was afraid of of what you know, what others might think or having to share the information. And, and it just feels like such an intimate thing that, you know, the idea of any other human being other than your partner knowing at that moment was just like unconceivable to me. So. I think your feelings and your reaction in that situation are so, so common. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, I mean, Bex, it's probably time for you to say your, your quote about being, you know, the proportionate thing. Sure. Um, I'll I'll gladly step in with that. Um, It's, I think, because the way that we've dealt with baby loss, you know, historically, and there's been decades and decades of us just brushing it under the carpet and no one talks about it, you sometimes feel that when you lose your baby, because no one's talking about it, your grief is disproportionate to your loss. So you think, I'm the only one that feels like this. Like, if, if everyone felt like the way I feel, if everyone felt like their soul was being fucking ripped out, then this would be like front page news, wouldn't it? There'd be, we'd all know what to do when this happened. Because if you snap your leg, you know that you have to go to hospital and you have to get help. But yet when your baby dies and you have to confront that and you have to realize that your whole future has changed, there's no help. There's no, oh, I'll just call the um the 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 999 for baby loss because that's what I clearly need right now is the support and the help to get mm-hmm. me through this because I am broken. Yeah. And I think because there is not that facility, there is not that 999 number, we yeah. just go, oh, well, this must be us dealing with it. 911, you mean? 
<laughs> no, I don't know what it is in Spain. What is the, <laughs> what's the emergency services in Spain? Oh, you should know this straight away. <laughs> I know that's awful. Well, it is awful. one two one in Europe. Well, I can call. The thing is, I'm pretty sure I can call nine one one for my American number, and it routes. It might take you a while to to get. It might take them a while to get to. You. <laughs> and then they have to call the Spanish police. You <laughs> live off base, so yeah, that's. I'm gonna have to follow up on that one. That's yeah, cool. you follow up. Let us know. Get back um, to us. And <laughs> if you're listening and you've realised that you don't know the number of your local emergency <laughs> yeah. service. And when I say local, I mean country, country-based. Um, please look that up immediately after yes, the call. Make yourself yes. familiar with those. I think it's, I want to say it's 112, but I could be. I asked. think it's I think it's 112. Uh, I think Laura's bullshitting with the old one-to-one. Well, it's definitely think, got two in it. So I think it's one, one, two, ones right. and a two. It's a couple of ones and a two. Try any combo. Yeah. 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 Just yeah. Work your way through them. Yeah. Let them know yeah. this was the test, right? <laughs> It's not yeah. Right. Um, so, so yeah, as as we were saying, like there is no emergency service for losing your baby. Yeah, it is arguably the biggest emergency of your life. Yeah. And because it's not treated like that in everyday society, we minimize our grief and we try and make it fit into a box that we feel is appropriate. Yeah. Um and we we fit ourselves that grief into a box that we feel is appropriate, not for us, but for everyone else. Yeah. So we end up squashing the way we feel. And you know, when you hold a balloon like or, or a ball under the water, you can hold it down for ages, but it's gonna come back up. Yeah. And I think that's that's my own experience, not just with with baby loss, but with grief on the whole and, and trauma, is that I can hold a ball underwater for a really long time, but then when it comes up, it comes up so fast that it smacks me in the face and yep. smashes up my nose. Yeah. I mean, my nose is fine, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. In and, and I think that's that's what happens. Yeah, and I think another way that I, thanks to my therapist, Joyce, got to shout her out, she's wonderful. Go, go on, Joyce. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other ways that she sort of helped me visualize, like, how to, how to walk with your grief and carry your grief, right? Because it doesn't leave you, but it's... Mm. Of like I think of it as like sort of an awkward object that you have to carry and there are more comfortable ways to carry it as opposed to others right so if mm. it's this big awkward you know thing that you have to carry around maybe you strap it onto your back and you're able to stand upwards and walk with it as opposed to having to like kick it forward or just you know you've carried something heavy before and you've you've found mm. a more comfortable way to deal with it and I think what, what's really helped me with that visualization is just that one, it still has to be with me because it will be with me no matter what. It's not something I'm going to um, like check the box off of and erase and move on from. It's yeah. you just move with it, right? And and trying to visualize that has been really helpful. And, you know, especially, and I'll, the it was one of the earliest podcast episodes I listened to because I found y'all like very quickly through Googling. Of course uh, you did. Like having heard, yeah. having heard your processing skills <laughs> I can imagine oh my god because I was just so thirsty because I I have not had I mean my my mother my mother-in-law and, and no women close to me have, have dealt with this personally right that that at least I know of of course right um mm-hmm. shared that with me so that that wasn't something that I felt comfortable even sharing with my mom right away mm-hmm. it was Do you think like, had you known that other people close to you had been through something like this it would have been easier for you to absolutely that support and be open about it from the beginning absolutely yeah it it absolutely would have been and and you know I think 
I, when I, when I wrote to you guys before, just thanking you for the community that you've built. I mean, there, again, there was one episode where, and I can't remember, I can't remember who mentioned it, but you talked about, um, having multiple, multiple miscarriages, but your, um, your very early on miscarriage or your chemical pregnancy was one of your hardest because you don't get that external validation, right. Mm -hmm. Of, uh, or medical validation, or like, you don't, you don't get, um, any type of like distinct, someone looking in your eyes and saying you were pregnant, you've lost something significant. Now, you know, here's how we, we there's have nothing, there's no, there's no medical support. And then there's no validation from people around you because people think that you were only pregnant for a week or whatever. And we've just heard how bloody invested you were, you know, mm. you had the apps, you had, you, you dreamt the dreams mm-hmm. and, um, and it is absolutely devastating. And I think, um, I've mentioned before that my ectopic pregnancy when I had the surgery was actually one of the easiest ones to deal with because it felt like people gave a shit and stuff was being done. It was like, it it was, it was a big deal. It was an emergency and, and it was just much easier to cope with emotionally for that reason. Yeah. Mm. So bizarre. I, and, and I had a second miscarriage this past January, late January, and it was, I was further along. I was almost eight weeks pregnant. And that one, I did go to the ER because I was in a lot of pain and it was one-sided pain. So I was convinced I was having an ectopic myself, right? I, I mean, I didn't really know what was happening. I just knew that I was in a lot of pain and needed like something and it just wasn't right. And obviously I, I had my experience to compare to the first one. And this, the second one was very different. And, you know, my, my husband took me to the ER and, um, we're also in an interesting environment here, right? We go on base for our medical care first. Um, it's like an American Naval hospital on the base. So it's, it's fairly bare bones, um, as far as services, right? So it's one of those things where you go here first and they sort of triage if you need escalated care. Um, and they, they really did treat me with a lot of compassion and they were very careful with me. And, and I think that this, this most recent one in January was way more traumatizing for my husband because mind you, I've worked in healthcare for almost 11 years now. Right. So I'm like on my home turf, I've worked in an ER before. I know all the things, like I know the medical jargon. I know the process again, right. Of like, I come in, they're going to triage me here. These are the tests they're probably going to run. And then we'll have to go from there. Right. And my, my husband was, was with me for the second one, which I'm very, very thankful for. Um, but yeah, he had to, he had to sit next to me in the ER as I'm like in the stirrups and, you know, they're removing, tissue from me to try to get samples and, um, you know, so making sure, like, I think the first part too, right. And I don't know how I'm very comfortable sharing details. I don't know how many details you want, but, um, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, it's visually quite violent. And as a, as a woman, I'm very comfortable with my body. And so I was not uncomfortable being up in the stirrups, right. I was very focused on like solving the problem. Mm-hmm. I knew I was having a miscarriage, but they were, obviously I was still showing up as pregnant on the tests. And so they were like, wanted to be very cautious with all of that. So they're, you know, doing the exam, mind you, it's not my OB or an obstetric specialist, right? It's still the ER doc who's doing this until the OB can come in. Cause this is the middle of the night. Um, and yeah, I just, I just remember like 
I think one of the other reasons it was easier for me is because I'm much more comfortable in a caregiving role than I am in a care receiving role. I think many people are like that. Um, and I, I had my husband there who was just like visually traumatized. There's a lot of blood happening, a lot of like, it just, it's, it's messy and it's awful. And, you know, the ER staff is not super well-versed in, in how to deal with this, right? Like that this just isn't a busy ER or a high acuity ER. I think it's so um going back to like that brutality of the loss like phys- the physical brutality of the loss I remember so vividly being completely soaked in my own blood yeah. and it was I was wearing it was really really hot it was May mine was May as well and it was really really hot and I went into hospital because I'd been sent home and um because the drugs didn't work anyway all the rest of it and I, I came home and it started kicking off and they said if if it happens before your surgery because I was booked in for surgery you need to come back because you were so and so far along and it started at home so I went in and by the time I got to the hospital I was really panicking because I had no concept of how much blood I would lose yeah. and when I was lying down on this bed you know as you as you say the feet in your stirrups and stuff I could feel the blood against my shoulder blades and I can remember looking around and my my hair I've got long hair and I was lying on my hair and my hair was soaked in blood and it was really because it was so hot as well it's really sticky and I thought I'm dying this this can't be normal losing this amount of blood cannot be normal and I can remember looking at Rob and he was like white and looking at me because he could see the blood everywhere as well and I was just thinking I'm gonna die something has gone awfully awfully wrong and isn't it mad that we don't know that, I mean, normal is a horrible word and I don't like it, but we don't know that that is typically what happens during a miscarriage. We're not, yeah. even when we know we're having one, they yeah. don't say you are going to bleed a yeah. lot. There is going to be a lot of blood and it is going to be scary. And if I'd known that, I could have, instead of looking at my hair soaking in blood and thinking, I think I might actually die now, I could be like, okay, they told me about this. Okay, mm-hmm. this is this is what happens. So, the warriorship, we wanted to come and tell you a little bit about it, didn't we, Bex? And in case you're already going, why? We don't want to know about a fucking ship. The warriorship is our online membership for warriors in this community. It's packed full of stuff. So we just want to tell you about some of the stuff. All of the content from all of the courses that we ever run is in the warriorship. So there's loads to get your teeth into. And we are also developing modules for what happens after. But not only that, we've also got a ton of educational workshops running once a month. In the coming months, we have got body positivity workshop, gratitude workshop, and loads, loads, loads more. And on top of that, we also have a resident mental health specialist. And on top of that, if if that wasn't enough, there's 13 events every month. And there's stuff popping up all the time as well that other people are organising that you can be a part of. So it really is thriving. And all you have to do is head to the link in our bio or visit our website and you can be a part of this too. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, I, I felt lucky because I had that that medical knowledge, right? But to your point, like looking over and seeing your your husband or your partner and they're just absolutely, they can't do anything to help yeah. other people just be there, right? And that's like a whole other level of heart-wrenching. And it, you know, again, I, I felt, I'd done a lot of healing, you know, last summer and last fall, um, from my first miscarriage. So I felt like I had some emotional armor kind of going into this second pregnancy. Um, 
you know, I, I did allow myself to get a bit excited, especially as each week kind of came along. Um, and one of my best, best childhood friends, um, she actually told me when I told my, this group of five girlfriends I've had since like the fifth grade, um, that she was pregnant, like the same gestation as me. So I had this, like this sort of teammate, right. Of one of my best friends. And that made me feel very assured too. Cause I'm like, all right, she's on her second kid. Like we're going to be pregnant together. Like this is, this is wonderful. Right. So I did allow myself that excitement. Um, and then, yeah, then, uh, about just before eight weeks, I, I had my miscarriage again. And yeah, this one was, this one was gory and had, we had to go to the hospital, but again, it's crazy because th- this last one I dealt with much better, I think than my husband did like my husband sort of was, he didn't have the opportunity to, to grieve the person because he wasn't there physically with mm. me and had to deal with the aftermath of me falling apart last year um, and like truly being non-functional. But this, this most recent one, I think I was able to get into that almost caregiver mode more. And because I, I was more comfortable with that and he was struggling m- much more with the second one and just like the, the loss. And I think he sort of grieved both, right? Like both lost babies in one with the second mm-hmm. one. Um, and yeah, the, the, it, it's just, it's really unfortunate that we don't have, um, we don't know what all the options could be. Cause like, to your point, normal is subjective, right? But like mm-hmm. what all of the different outcomes could be if you are interested to mentally prepare yourself. And I would be one of those people that would cling to that information and cling to those stories, which is what I've done with your podcast. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I've, I've listened to you. It's crazy to be talking to you because I've listened to y'all's voices mm-hmm. when I'm like in the fetal position, like on the ground, just like not able to function. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it is really important to me to, to start talking about it more. I've been fairly open about it with people around me directly. I'm fairly open with family about it, but I, you know, I think, I think some, some folks may be surprised. I also am like, I'm like telling everyone to listen to the, the worst girl gang ever podcast. I'm <laughs> my OB's office after my first miscarriage. I'm like, you need to post this on your front door. I was like talking about it in the ER um, after my second one. And, you know, just really trying to share those resources that that do exist. It's amazing, isn't it? How just listening to the stories of others helps. I don't know why it does, but I remember with my experience, I had um, my, one of my closest friends had had a miscarriage that I knew about. And my cousin had had, uh, a few miscarriages and they were the only people I wanted to speak to I just yeah. found such comfort in talking to someone that had been there yeah because there wasn't any of that kind of even I was sort of assigned a bereavement midwife but she was very young and mm-hmm. didn't have children and hadn't experienced loss yeah. and as nice as she was and as kind of well trained and well versed as she was I just didn't feel anything. I didn't. Whereas when you start chatting to someone who knows the darkness that you've been through, it's like uh, this warm jacket that you can put on and feel a little bit protected from the world. Yeah, that's it's it's I, I still find it absolutely incredible. The power of being able to share your experience and listen to the experience of others. Yeah. yeah. Start to recover. Yeah there's like these very in the past year of having all of these experiences, it feels like it's been 10 years. Um, but mm-hmm. the, there's these, you know, there's plenty of moments where people say things that are very unhelpful. Right. And, and you all have helped me articulate that and rationalize why that's so hurtful in a lot of your episodes, you know, the at least statements are like, 
and we need medical professionals to stop saying those ever, right? Definitely. Um, I think we could start there, but there are many moments where I like, people just don't realize what even like one sentence or comment can, can help. I mean, the one I'm thinking of of right now is um, sort of, the, the group that my husband works for is a fairly tight knit group. So I, I know many of the other, of the other spouses and, and one of those spouses was pregnant. She's pregnant with her second kiddo. And of course I'm sitting outside of the lab waiting to get my labs drawn um, for all the multitude of testing that I've been through in the last year. And um, she had heard the test that they were running on me. She's like, Oh, you know, I, I don't want to intrude, but are you like, you guys trying to have a baby? And I, you know, I, in that moment, I just decided to open up to her and say, yeah, you know, I've I've had one miscarriage so far and we're just trying to figure out if there's anything we can do. And mind you, she's pregnant with her second kid. So you'd think this would be, I was like prepared to be very triggered, but she told me, she's like, yeah, I actually had two miscarriages before I had my first daughter. And just even like her just saying that, I mean, we, we aren't particularly close, right. But even just her acknowledging that she's like been on that path before and she's you know, obviously we, I want a baby, right? And she's on the other end of that. That's not always the outcome either, but the way that she shared that information was just so validating, right? And, mm-hmm. and just like the solidarity of it. And, and we really didn't even talk about it even more, but that, you know, that sort of gave me the like, like I could just breathe It gives out. you a, a little bit of hope, but then it also stops you from feeling like you're a failure because you're like, yeah. oh, okay, this does happen to, to lots of people. I'm not mm. like shit at making babies. And because that I think is one of the worst, the worst feelings when mm. you're going through it and you're going through it in silence and not listening to other people's stories like on the podcast. You, yeah. you do think what's wrong with me? Yeah. Why is it not working? Mm-hmm. Well, and then when you go through all the fertility testing and everything's normal, everything's normal. There's no, there's no concrete thing, you know, normal. Um, they just don't know, you know, why these things are, are caused or why they happen so early. I mean, that you just don't get the answers that you, that you want. Right. And then you're told you're perfectly healthy, but like everything in your core, when you experience this, it, it, nothing about it is correct. Right. And it, 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 yeah. just, it feels like every atom of every cell in your body is just like not like something is very very wrong the Um, likelihood is that's an absolute load of bollocks yeah because there there will be a reason for it um there's just nothing that's shown up on those limited tests that they've done yeah yeah and so i mean and or there's just like I mean, yeah, the, the fertility testing is a whole other, you know, whole other <laughs> journey. I mean, like I spent, um, so one of the, one of the tests that I took was a prolactin test. Um, I don't know if you all have any like blood prolactin and mine was quite elevated. So I had a ton of, of the prolactin hormone in my blood and this was months after my first miscarriage. So obviously it wasn't due to a pregnancy, right? Um, and one of the most common reasons you can have super high prolactin in your bloodstream is because you have a lesion on your pituitary gland. Most of them are not cancerous. Most of them are benign, but that's still like a mass in your head. Right. And so I was sent for, I was told this from my blood results and I was sent for an MRI. So I spent about three weeks thinking like, Oh, I've got, I've got something in my brain, but great. And I felt so crazy saying this, the craziest part was like, 
great news, right? It's probably not cancer and it's something that's solvable, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can latch on to this like reason and solution, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm still in my solution era of this whole experience, right? And then even we, though the solution's going to be brain surgery, you're still right. excited about it, right? <laughs> or some really gnarly drugs, right? Like really gnarly, like drug regimen that you have to go through that like is awful on your body. But, um, you know, when I got the test results back from the MRI, you know, there was no lesion and you're just normal. So I kept going back in and the levels came down on their own, resolved on their own. And I just felt absolutely so insane for being disappointed by that. Mm-hmm. It was so hard to like, communicate to someone who didn't understand that I was like disappointed. And when I shared the news with my girlfriends, I mean, God, love, they're very supportive and very compassionate, you know, but when they were all excited and like, great, this is good news. Like, we'll keep, like, we can keep moving forward or you can keep moving forward. I was like, that's not how it feels. Right. No, like, Cause you've got to move forward and try again, going in absolutely blind with no changes. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, that was quite the experience, but you know, there's, there's little nuggets of, of like that story, that story I shared with you about that woman sharing with me, um, at the lab. I think one of the other, like really, really profound things that someone has said to me, it's, it's actually a man of all, of all, of all things. Has said this. species. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but he's, he's, uh, was sort of my work mentor and I've worked with him for a long time and just like somebody I really admire. Um, and you know, when I, I did tell him because I was, was working for him at the time that this is what I was going through and I needed some, some time because I wasn't well. And I was like, listen, I know what happens. I'm diminishing my own experience, right? I know this happens to a lot of people. It's quite common. And what he said back was, um, this is gonna make me emotional, but he's like, well, everybody dies, but that doesn't make it easier, you know? And I just like, I just really appreciated that very simple, um, that simple statement is like something I play in my mind all the time. Sorry. That's like the ultimate validation. Oh my God, it was. And it just like, and of course I didn't, he he doesn't even know that I validated, you know, valued that statement that much, but it is, it just was incredibly validating at the time because it just, it shoved a different perspective of Mm -hmm. like into my brain when I was diminishing my own experience, you know, and um, it's just so important for people to know like how to interact with with women who experience this because there's yeah. so many, you know. What's his name? Dave. <laughs> Dave. I think Go we'll have on, a quote. Dave. Yeah. Have a, a quote on our grid from Dave. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I so identify with that. And I remember I remember going to see my counselor for the first time about something completely different. And I hadn't seen her for months and months and months. And I sort of went in with like, yeah, this has happened and this has happened. And I said, and then I I had a miscarriage. Um, But it was, you know, it was before 12 weeks and I didn't know that. Um, and as exactly as you say, like diminishing the the importance and the act, the, the pain of it. And yeah. she was like straight away. And I know she's a counsellor, so she's sort of trained to be <laughs> like this. Yeah. But she was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, I am so sorry that this has happened to you. That yeah. is absolutely awful. And it really stopped me in my tracks and was like, yeah, oh, my gosh. This is like really the first person yeah. that's told me how awful it is rather than sort of waiting for me to tell them how I was feeling just for someone to say to you this is really shit I am so sorry that you've been through it yeah so oh it just completely turns on its head the whole my grief is disproportionate to my loss because someone is there saying to you 
you you can feel grief for this because this is fucking mm. awful and yeah. that is incredibly it's it makes you open it makes you happier about opening up about your grief doesn't it it gives you a platform to share how you really feel because you know there's no judgment and you know you're not going to sh- get shut down and you know it's almost like we diminish our own feelings so no one else can do it for us yeah, yeah. and i think that's Absolutely. What, that, that's what we do because we're yep. so afraid of being judged and broken by the feelings and thoughts and opinions of other people is yeah. that we do it we do it first and it's yeah. i feel like we, i did that to protect my baby almost to protect yeah. my baby from being written off by someone else i yeah. would, because i knew in my heart how important he or she was to me i would protect them by saying this before they could so that it was special and close to me so i didn't have the words of other people trying to make light of it so oh, i yeah. didn't have that to hold on to because just in the same token too, right? Like those those moments that people have, have shared very authentic, like uh, supportive, like um, validative statements with me, you know, you, you also do remember the like ones that cut really deep. And then, yeah. And yeah. No, I mean, no one, no one has like meant ill, but like, I don't feel like anyone has meant to be hurtful, obviously ever, right? With any of this. Or when I've shared my my experiences, but you know they 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 kind of go into their scripted at least statements or um, you know one of the one of the ones that really really struck me was well thank goodness this happened before you actually have any children because you you would you would know how much more it is to lose right something along those lines and that was absolutely devastated me and again. It was, it was not, I know it was coming from a place of like trying to find something to say, right? Oh man, but that one really got me. And it obviously still sticks with me. So mm. I've never and heard it, that yeah. one before. Yeah. No, it is, uh, it is horrible. It's horrible. And it's horrible. The kind of what I, what I found it horrible, the guilt that I would feel because I already had children when I lost a baby and so many people said to me at least you've already got kids and it made it didn't just make me feel like the baby that I had lost didn't matter to them but it also made me feel guilty that I didn't it was in somehow that I felt they were saying you don't love your children enough like you you and I know how lucky I am obviously but at the same time it just made me feel like shit yeah and those were the ones that really got me that you're not appreciative enough you've got plenty it doesn't matter it's doesn't what, it just show that it's one. all a load of bollocks the fact that you both yeah. got told the exact yeah. same but opposite thing mm, oh yeah. at least this at least that well you know which one which is it then which one's the best yeah, one yeah. then like what's yeah. ideal huh I think I probably was still in a place of after my first miscarriage, I was still in a place, you know, when I would read stories or or listen to, to podcasts, you know, talk to other individuals, you know, I was still in a place of, first of all, comparing my experience with other people's experiences, like was my worse or, or better, mm-hmm. right? like mm-hmm. doing both. Whereas after this, this second miscarriage, you know, experiencing more loss and, and more dismay, it's almost put me in a, in a, I don't even know how to say this. It's put me in a different mindset where I just realized how much less valuable and how stupid it is to compare those experiences because it just doesn't matter. It mm. doesn't matter it, why you feel the grief and loss that you feel because that's that's not going to change your current state, right? Like that doesn't help you rationalize it because it's not necessarily the most rational 
experience in the world, right? And, you know, you know, you will both know this, your grief hits you out of nowhere. And so trying to compare it or contrast it to other stories, is just, it's just dumb. <laughs> it's, it's also like you don't, you wouldn't compare a broken leg to having cancer because they're two completely different experiences, just as and we say this all the time. You're probably all guys. You're probably bored of hearing this, but you know, you, you, all uh, together uh, now, join in. Yeah, you, <laughs> you're the the grief of of having children already, and the grief of not having a child at home and then having a loss is completely different. And it's yeah. not just but different because it's a different experience. It's different because we're all individuals and we all have our own upbringing and education and and um, religious beliefs and other life experiences you know we all have our own really really unique lens that we see the world through so therefore you have two women who have the exact same experience they lose their baby at the same gestation for example they lose the same amount of blood they're traumatized by this same same physical experience but the aftermath of that the emotional side of things is going to be completely different because they're two different people and that's that is the fundamental my belief is that is the fundamental building block for recovery is that we treat everyone as an individual with a different experience and we go with what they are feeling rather than what we think they should be feeling or what we as a society believe is the right thing to feel and as mm-hmm. soon as we can take off that as soon as we can stop giving people these expiration dates for grief well, i'm sorry it's been two months now you can't yeah. fit you must be upset about something else what else is going on in your life as soon yeah. as we can remove all of that and just go right this is your journey you are allowed to feel whatever you feel for as long as you want yeah. then we can give the women and the couples the space and the platform they need to be able to move through everything at their own pace in their own intensity and their own time and come out of the other side. Because the only way anyone is getting out of this is if they move through it. But we need to allow people to do that instead of plastering them with fucking well-meaning but shit platitudes and our own personal beliefs and stories. Mm. No, absolutely. And it's, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, but it it is it is it is essential, and I think that's that's one of the reasons I've continued to feel more and more comfortable and passionate about talking about my experience. Right? I think it was one of the more recent episodes I've listened to um, where um, I think one of you was in a um, like a birthing class at, at a hospital, or one of the guests was in a birthing class at a hospital, and the teacher of the class was saying when you or when you get to your baby or when you get to this point with your baby and someone brought up well, well if right like mm-hmm. if right and the the diminishment or like no 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 you can't think like that right like that kind of even platitude is so troublesome to me because we talked about this at the beginning i've lost that ex- i will never have an experience again where i get to just think when not if right and and talking about that bringing awareness to it and making other people um, more comfortable with the discomfort mm. of the topic mm. is so essential. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, when I'm comfortable and feeling, feeling in a good mental space about it, I, I certainly share my experiences because all you see on, you know, most of social media are birth announcements. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that's just reflective of what we're all, I think, is a society comfortable talking about versus what yeah. you need. I mean, I, I I am not unique or special. Right. We we know that I, it's just it's critical that 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 we don't let people continue to kind of suffer 
by themselves because this is this is a gnarly, gnarly uh, mental and emotional marathon to go mm. through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think we're still stuck. I do think it's better than it was perhaps, but I think we're still stuck in this place where we only, we are only willing to show the aesthetically pleasing side of ourselves and our lives. And mm-hmm. I think there is so much more to gain there. I think social media could be a brilliant place if everyone was more honest about what real life is like. And I think, as you say, the, if, if you get to bring a baby home, if it all goes well, it's just as fucking important, if not more important to recognise than when, because it's not when for everyone. And if we made the if more accessible for everyone to believe and be comfortable with, as you say, then everyone is going to be able to hit the ground running and know where to go for support when the if is not, when it doesn't happen, when you don't get to bring that baby home, when you have another loss or a loss, if everyone knew how to get how to ask for the support they needed or how and how to how to give that support to their friends family colleagues whatever then people would be able to move through their recovery so much more easily yeah yeah and in you know relating to other human beings stories has been so critical to my my recovery and healing through this and and my ability to like even try to be resilient through this right like um, and sometimes resilience looks like, oh, I'm not going to be getting off of the couch today because I can't deal. Right. And that's okay. Um, so yeah. yeah, I, I just, I think more and more if we can be realistic and it's not about, you know, I, I definitely come from, um, I think a, a family or a, or a group that is very focused on positivity. Right. And that is like, not my natural state, my natural state, I think leans more pessimistic. Right but just acknowledging reality, right? And like talking about the reality of the situation is just, is so critical for so many of us. And and that just gets blown, like blown right past. Um, mm. Yeah, I do, I do appreciate that, you know, not everything is sunflowers and, and rainbows and we have to be okay talking about that because that's the reality of life. Um, yeah. Natalie, where are you at now? Yeah, um, so we are, you know, still going through some of the fertility testing. We've done all the like genetic tests. Those are all normal. Again, um, I actually have a follow-up visit on Monday um, at our fertility clinic here um, to kind of talk through next steps. You know, I'm, I ovulate regularly. I'm doing all these things. My body is, is I think in the right space, you know, my, my husband and I, I don't think are ready to uh, be pregnant again yet after this, this second loss. Um, I think we still need some time to be able to enter that headspace again. Right. Because. Oh, it's pretty hardcore, isn't it? The trying is like, well, especially with you, it's a military operation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. Exactly. The, the, uh, the American government does not follow my ovulation schedule. So like bastards. Oh no. Am I allowed to say that about the American government? Yeah. yeah, I I say it all the time at home. Yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. And I think really taking my foot off of like, I mean, being forced to take my foot off of the gas and the intensity of it all, um, through a lot of therapy and right, mm. it has been essential. And I think I, I do feel mentally in a in a very, very good headspace about navigating through it. Of course, that doesn't mean that I don't 
I just feel absolutely gutted sometimes when I see somebody else's, you know, fourth pregnancy announcement, right? Yeah, or, of course. You know, the, yeah, the the uh, EOD wife email comes out and it, there's a meal train for a family that's having their fourth kid, right? And they just keep emailing you every day to sign up to bring a meal to this this family who's just had a new baby. And I'm like, oh, I, God, that's a lot. I, yeah, I'm like, I, I love the energy, but I cannot participate in that, right? And it, it's... Um, you know, those are still moments that I, I do struggle with, but I, I feel like I have the skills to allow myself to feel that and then, mm. you know, pick up and, and, and make keep, them a pie. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and, and not making, making the pie in a specific direction. Right. I think my husband and I have just sort of been enjoying each other and accepting that this is our story and that it's not, you know, we don't have to fall into this hopeless pit of despair, but we also don't have to be like, you know, singing songs and, and, you know, hyper-focused on what we need to do for the next piece and just trying to be okay in the moment. Right. And, and, you know, I will say like, I will never say there's anything positive about my journey through, you know, infertility and pregnancy loss. Um, but I will say a byproduct of it that I feel very, very fortunate um, with is, I mean, my husband and I are sort of bonded in a way that I would have never even thought is possible before. Right. I mean, I, I've been with my husband for almost seven years. So we, we were together for quite a long time before we even started this journey. Um, and this is just put our relationship, you know, in a, in a new light and, and, you know, shine, shine, sort of shown a light on areas where like, okay, this is how we have to work with each other more to continue to try to invest in that bond. And I feel very, very lucky that I have that support. And again, I'm not, I don't want to say that it's a positive outcome of all of this, but it's, it's definitely a byproduct of feeling very, very secure in, in your relationship and, you know, whatever we need to do going forward. So I feel very lucky in that regard. Mm. Well, we wish you so much luck and hope that Monday goes well. Thank you. Um, don't hope that there's something wrong, but sort of yeah. find something, <laughs> no, right? Only, mm. only the listeners understand this, right? <laughs> Is there a solution somewhere? But yeah. I just have to, again, thank you all so much for creating the community that you have because it's, it's truly unique. And I, I dare I say life-saving again, there's been plenty of, of anecdotes and stories shared that just resonate in my mind and sort of keep me tethered to earth, right. As you're going through some of this really hard stuff. So I appreciate it. Oh, that's amazing to hear. I'm really pleased. We'll keep well, in touch, won't you? Yourself. Yeah, I will. I will. I'll keep you all updated. We'll see where I am. <laughs> All right, take right, care. Enjoy Anthony. sunny Spain. I will, I will. Hopefully Bastard. we'll see weather soon, I know. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. Bye. Take Bye. care. Bye. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.